1 Samuel 14, verse 1 says this, slightly lengthy passage of scripture. Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, come and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But Saul, uh, Jonathan told not his father, Saul. Verse 4 says, and between the passages where they were going, by which Jonathan sought to go over unto the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other, Sena. Verse 6, And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. Someone say, maybe. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And the armor bearer said unto him, unto Jonathan, he said, do all that is in thine heart. Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee. Behold, I am with thee according to thy heart, Jonathan. And then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and, when, and we will discover ourselves unto them. We'll allow ourselves to be seen. And if they say thus unto us, Tarry until we come to you. Stay put and we'll come to you. Then we'll stand still in our place and we will not go up unto them. That will be our sign that it's not God's will for us to go. But if they say thus, come up unto us, then we will go. For the Lord hath delivered them into our hand. And this shall be a sign unto us. <clears throat> and both of them discovered themselves unto the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they had hid themselves. And the men of the garrison, garrison they answered Jonathan and his armor bearer, with a little bit of arrogance, no doubt. And they said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. We'll show you a thing or two. And Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, that's our sign. That's our sign. Come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. And so Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet. And his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan. And his armor bearer slew after him. And that first slaughter in this initial garrison, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, it was about 20 men, two against 20, within, as it were, an half acre of land, which a yoke of oxen might plow. Last verse. <clears throat> and there was trembling in the host, the host of the enemy, in the field and among all the people, the garrison and the spoilers. They also trembled, and the earth quaked. So it was a very great trembling. From verse 6, I would like to uh, use that verse to just lift a thought that I will preach from this morning, and my title is Beyond Perhaps. Look at your neighbor and tell them, Beyond Perhaps. Lord, bless the preaching of your word in Jesus' name, and everybody say, Amen. You may be seated. Let me probe you a little bit and ask this question. As you reflect over your life, has there ever been a moment in time when you would say that you took a big risk? Have you ever taken a risk in your life and stepped out when it didn't really seem like it was going to work out? And how did it turn out? Did it pay off or, or was there not the reward for the risk endeavored? Sometimes we live through life and we have a desired outcome in mind, but you know, sometimes there's just no way to guarantee that our actions will yield that desired outcome. And, and that is, by definition, what risk really is. It's when we step out with no particular guarantees, at least not 
That's not how it seems. You know, for example, I think many in the room, those of us that are married or have had romantic interests, you know, when it comes to finding the love of your life and getting married, at some point, somebody has to take that leap of faith and express their feelings. And they make the statement and they say, I want to be more than just friends. That's risky. (laughs) Because we all know that that is the point of no return. Because if Billy Bob says, I want to be more than just friends, and as Shakespeare might say, it is unrequited love. And they don't reciprocate the feelings. Well, there's no going back to friendship. You're going to part ways after that. Sorry, Billy Bob. You're up the creek. That's what happens if they're not interested. And you know that, that in some ways, you know, would perhaps tell my story. I mean, it would tell your story if you're, if you're married, probably, that there came a point when, when the relationship was going well and you wanted to take it to the next level. You want to be more than just friends. I remember being in the summer between 11th and 12th grade, going into my senior year and, and uh, having an interest in my uh, now wife, uh, Trish, and uh, I don't, didn't forget her name there, so I was deciding whether I should say Patricia or Trish. <laughs> and uh, I promise I know who she is. But I remember uh, having that desire, and it's funny because when you're in high school, when you're in secondary school of any level, when you even have friends kind of outside of your own grade, that's somewhat strange, right? And if you have a romantic relationship, a boyfriend or a girlfriend that's, you know, a grade ahead of you or a grade below you, that's kind of odd and weird and frowned upon by your peers, but I was going into 12th grade interested in a college graduate with a job. She's older than I am, and, and so it felt like a long shot, I got to tell you, but, you know, here we are today. History has borne itself out, and we are married with three beautiful children. I thank God for my wife of some 12 years, but, you know, there came that point when I said, you know, We should take this to the next level and be more than just friends. And the risk paid off, praise the Lord. Come on, if you're happy, if you're happily married today, you might as well just say praise the Lord. The truth is I could have sat on my hands and internalized my feelings, but all I had to lose was a chance. So I went for it. Someone say, go for it. I'm here today to preach to us and tell us that there must be intentional forward motion and Even risky choices, if you are going to someday arrive at your God-ordained destiny, because you will not just haphazardly slide into your calling, and you will not just trip over circumstances and land in your calling by chance, but there has to be a level of intentionality that you move into your calling. And we can't always guarantee the outcome, and, and sometimes it feels risky, and Sometimes we, we have that same kind of nagging word in our mind. Well, maybe it will, maybe it won't pan out. But I'm just here to tell us this morning that if we are not moving, then we are missing it. And my aim today is simply to convey that mindset of taking spiritual risks, taking what feel like chances in the kingdom to hopefully ad- advance the purposes of God. And maybe some things won't go how you thought they would. But maybe in some, and I would say probably in a lot more than you would guess, God will exceed your expectations. But you won't see it and none of it gets realized unless you go for it. I was preparing for this message a few weeks ago. 
And, and twice in one week, I believe, this statement, I listened to preaching and podcasts and whatnot, and twice the statement came through my ears, and, and they said this, how do you spell faith? R-I-S-K. That's how you spell faith. Because when God calls you and beckons you to step out on faith, on what feels like nothing more than a chance, it feels like risk, but that's exactly where God can meet you. I know sometimes it feels risky to step out on faith and to stand boldly for truth and to reach out to somebody and let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I know that feels risky. I I got it. I know sometimes it feels kind of risky to step out on faith when God beckons you to pray more and invest your life in the Scripture and, and in fasting and sacrifice and, and in our giving and our resources. It feels risky. I don't know if it's going to all come back and turn out the way that I feel like God might do it for me. But that's where faith comes in. It's risk. Someone say Risk. I I believe that God would would have somebody under the sound of my voice to take a step beyond what you've ever done before. I believe that in this room today, all of those in my hearing, there are songs yet unwritten. There are skills yet unhoned that can be used for the glory of God and to advance the kingdom. I believe that there are books unwritten. I believe that there are Bible studies unwritten and untaught. I believe that there are churches unplanted and mission fields unworked if we will but step out in faith and take a risk for God, he will meet us there. Come on, clap your hands for a moment if you believe it. We walk by faith and not by sight. And if everything we seek to do can be calculated in our mind, if we can do it all in our flesh, then we are not where God would have us to go. When we really do a work for God, it will always feel risky. Risky. That's where God wants us. We have no idea how things will turn out. Maybe it will go well. Maybe things will fall flat. That's what we think in our minds ahead of time. But beyond your perhaps is the place where God will show up and show off. Maybe I'll put it this way today. Behold the turtle. He makes progress only when he sticks his neck out. Just chew on that for a little while, I guess. you got to stick your neck out every once in a while and, and seek to make something happen for the kingdom. In our opening text, Jonathan, King Saul's son, he makes the decision to move forward despite the fact that the outlook didn't seem great. At least if you were assessing the situation from a carnal perspective, from a fleshly mindset, one based merely on military readiness, it didn't look great. One chapter prior, we read from 1 Samuel 14, but in chapter 13, it begins with King Saul gathering 3,000 soldiers around himself and his son Jonathan. And with 1,000 of these 3,000 soldiers, Jonathan defeats a small garrison of Philistines in Geba. That's in verse 3. And the Philistine army, in response to this attack, they start gathering their troops together. And King Saul and Jonathan, they probably felt pretty smug with 3,000 soldiers. It seemed like a decent number until you realize that the enemy also boasts 3,000, not soldiers, but chariots. 
and above that, 6,000 horsemen. And the Bible says in verse 5, and I quote, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. So God's people, they go from feeling quite confident to feeling vastly outnumbered. And this no doubt struck fear in the Israelites. And we can see that plainly in the text in, verse thir- in chapter 13 and how they start running off and they start hiding in caves, thickets, rocks, high places, and pits. In fact, some of the Israelites, they are so fearful by this, this uh, massive Philistine army that they actually swim to the other side of the Jordan River. They don't just leave the battlefield. They leave their country. They start running away. And the ones that did remain with Saul, 1 Samuel 13, 7, it tells us that they were trembling. So the outlook was bleak. The state of Saul's army was now grim. And and as he starts looking around, he begins all those that were counting. uh, he, He begins counting all those that were remaining with him. And Saul now discovers that He doesn't have 3,000. He has a dwindling fighting force of about 600 men. 600 against an innumerable enemy. And if that wasn't bad enough, to add insult to injury, Israel had no weapons. I mean, how are you going to fight a battle without any weapons? It just doesn't work out. The Bible tells us, chapter 13 again, verse 19, that there were no blacksmiths in the land of Israel in those days. The Philistines wouldn't allow them for fear that they would make swords and spears for the Hebrews. So whenever the Israelites needed to sharpen their plowshares, picks, axes, or sickles, they had to take them to a Philistine blacksmith. Everyone say, no weapons. There was no weapon present in Israel in those days. In fact, the Bible tells us very plainly that the only two swords in the entire army belonged to King Saul and his son Jonathan. Verse 22, so on the day of the battle, none of the people of Israel had a sword or a spear except for Saul and Jonathan. So not only is the army small, their weapons are farming equipment, sickles and plowshares. They're fearful, and they're not even around. They're hiding in caves, and, you know, they're, they're uh, immigrating to some other country, <laughs> swimming across the Jordan River. I mean, it doesn't look good, right? And if you were to calculate all of this and assess this from a carnal perspective and look at their military readiness, God's people certainly seemed disadvantaged. Can we agree today? They were outnumbered. But this, this environment is the very one, and it's the very circumstance in which Jonathan, Saul's son, decided to put God's faithfulness to the test. Defeat, it seemed imminent, but for an intervention of God. And so Jonathan stepped out on faith and ultimately into victory. He took a risk that day, and all he had to do was push beyond perhaps. Everyone say beyond perhaps. 1 Samuel 14, verse 6, from the New Living this time. We read it in our opening text. Jonathan said, let's go across to the outposts of those pagans. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Perhaps the Lord will help us. And he had a revelation and an understanding. For nothing can hinder the Lord. There's no restraint to the Lord, Jonathan said. He can win a battle, whether he has many warriors or only a few. And I just got to imagine, I mean, this was the king's son, and he would have been versed in the history of Israel. And so I, I just imagine that he was reminiscing on the victory of Gideon many years ago and 
and how Gideon was able to defeat over 100,000, 120,000 or so with only 300 men. And Jonathan has got to be thinking, we've got double that. You know, we've got 600 in Israel. And so if, if, if 600, if 300 can defeat 120,000, maybe the 600 can, can, can defeat these Philistines. So we should, we should try something. We should step out on faith. And, and maybe God will help us if, if the two of us go and try to make something happen with that small little garrison over there. There's no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. Now perhaps it doesn't seem like it's a lot to go on. But that's what he had to go on. Just a maybe. Just perhaps. And perhaps it brings with it no particular guarantees. That's what it feels like. God might help us. That's what he had to go on. But it was enough. Because God is enough. And God was with that, that man and his armor bearer. And a victory was won. And God defeated the Philistines that day because one man and his armor bearer pushed beyond perhaps I think buried in the details of this story lies this picture, this metaphor, if you will, of what Jonathan was wrestling with in his mind. 1 Samuel 14, 4, it says this, To reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs. And those rocky cliffs, they were called Bozes and Senna. King James, it says that they were sharp rocks. Can I just tell us, this is for free, this is a side note, but... You know, if all the rocks that we had to climb in life, if all the mountains that we had to scale in life, if they were smooth, we would have no footing and we would make no progress. So every once in a while, it is appropriate to thank God even for the sharp rocks and the difficult circumstances that we've had to walk through and, and go through because those are the things that gave us traction and helped us to have forward motion. But the, the names of these two rocks, it's, it's interesting to me that the Scripture names the rocks because nothing is in Scripture by accident. And so the names, here's what they mean. Bozes, it means shining. Or we might say brilliant white. And Senna, it means thorn. So on one side, you've got shining, brilliant white. It sounds like a victory to me. And on the other side, you've just got a thorn. And to me, this seems to represent the, the potential stark contrast of outcomes running through Jonathan's mind before they make their way to that Philistine garrison. Maybe God will come through and it will be a great victory. And we will come through as shining victors over the enemy. Or maybe God won't. It won't turn out the way that we're hoping and we're just going to land in a patch of punishing thorns. <laughs> but just as Jonathan and his armor bearer had to make their way between these two mountains, these two sharp rocks, the Bible says, shining and thorn, Bozes and Senna. In his mind, he also had to move beyond the dichotomy of perhaps, beyond two potential outcomes, beyond coming through victorious and coming through in defeat, and just give God the chance to come through. It may be that the Lord will work for us. It may be that we'll come through shining and victorious there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. Can I just tell us today that this story, in this story, all that Jonathan had to lose was the chance for victory. If he stayed put, nothing would have happened. And who knows if, if the Philistines would have overwhelmed the Israelites or not. I can't say for sure. But, but, but all that Jonathan would have lost was the chance for God to show up and show off. So he moved beyond perhaps. And he trusted God with the outcome. 
And because of it, we know, we read it, God brought a great victory. Everyone say risk. It was a risk. No doubt about it. But oh, what a miracle was on the other side of that perhaps. I just believe that in the spirit today, there are people under the sound of my voice that you are on that edge of perhaps, wondering if you should make your way up that sharp, craggy cliff between two potential outcomes. And I'm just here in the Holy Ghost today. My assignment is very simple. In the Holy Ghost, I just feel to challenge you, to tell you, go for it. What God is calling you and speaking to you to do, what God has been resonating in your spirit, it's no longer time to just sit on your hands and just wait for something to happen. It's not going to happen if you don't take a step of faith and take a kingdom risk and, and just go for it today. Go for it in this season because if you will step out, come on, there is no restraint to the Lord. You may feel like you're outnumbered and you may feel like you're ill-equipped, but God is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we can ask or think. He can save by many. If you've got all the resources in the world, God bless you. But he can save by few. And he can bless you in, in diminished uh, amounts. And, and he can bless you when you don't have very much to your name. But you've got to take a step of faith and take a kingdom risk, and that's where God will meet you. Can you raise your hands for a moment? Just pray into that for a moment. Come on, people, in, under the sound of my voice, God has put something in your spirit. God has put something in your heart, and he is just calling you in the Holy Ghost today to go for it, to go for it, to take a risk, to take him at his word, and to try him at his faithfulness, and he will not fail. Can we just lift our voice for another moment here right now? Come on, pray in the Spirit today. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. God, we believe you. God, we believe that you are able. Jesus, we believe that you've not been speaking to us just carelessly or casually, but you've been depositing things in our spirit that if we would step out and act on God, you would honor your word. You would honor that seed that you put in our spirit and you would cause it to flourish. We believe it in Jesus' name. We believe it in Jesus' name. Hear me today as I attempt to land this plane. Isn't there always what feels like a maybe involved? I'm not saying it's a maybe because the truth of the matter is God cannot fail. And the church cannot lose. So I know that it feels like a maybe. I know it feels like perhaps that's something we will always wrestle with when we are called to do something for God. It always takes faith. It will always take what feels like a risk, I believe. We don't know how. And sometimes it feels like we don't know even if God is going to come through. And sometimes we have stepped out and we have prayed bold prayers and we have laid our hands on the sick and it just didn't seem like God came through the way we thought. But never underestimate what obedience to the word of the Lord and the call of God is doing. Because even when you can't see the results immediately, it doesn't mean that God is not orchestrating things and working in the background. Every prayer prayed gets the attention of the Lord. Every effort made for the kingdom, it will yield a harvest. 
Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap, whether he sowed to the Spirit or to the flesh. Come on, if you reap, sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap life everlasting. And so you, you cannot do something in the name of Jesus and for the kingdom of God that will not yield some result for the benefit of His kingdom. I know you wrestle with risk and you wrestle with perhaps, but it's not really that. It's not really a maybe. God is faithful. God is faithful. And He will not be mocked. Whatever you sow, you will reap. But we wrestle, don't we? And sometimes it feels like, you know, there's no specific formula. Well, there isn't. There is no specific formula for revival. And there's no set amount of fasting that is guaranteed to break the shackles of oppression in your family. And there is no quota of prayer that will definitely yield an answer. But we stand on the promises and the principles of the Word of God. And we understand today that God is bound by His Word. Let God be true and every man a liar. Come on, God cannot lie. The enemy's native tongue is lying, but, but God only speaks the truth. And so if He has spoken something to your spirit, and if you act on what He has spoken, He will come through for you. Some way, somehow, maybe not the way you thought He would, but He will on your behalf. For your good and His glory and His kingdom will expand in Jesus' name. And God's invitation today is simply this. Try me. Try me. Take me at my word. Give me the chance to come through. We ultimately, we trust the results in the hands of the Lord, but it is imperative that we start stepping in the direction of victory. Because staying in the caves, staying in the crags of the cliffs somewhere, that does us no good. We've got to start stepping in the direction of victory. If we stay put, we accept default, uh, defeat by default. So go for it. Everyone shout, go for it. I wonder today how many souls have remained unsaved and how many prayers have gone unanswered and how many blessings were held back and how many messages from God were not heard and how many songs have gone unwritten. I just feel that in my spirit today. There's a song in somebody here today that God would call you and, and ask you to write that he might receive glory in the earth today. How many sermons have gone unpreached and how many victories have gone unrealized all because we were paralyzed by perhaps. And we were held motionless by maybe. I don't have the guarantee, in my mind at least, is I'm not going to step out. I am here today to preach to those dormant dreams. I am here today to preach to somebody's unheeded calling. And I am here to preach to the burden that you have buried under layers of fear. And I understand that nobody likes uncertainty. I understand that nobody likes unguaranteed outcomes. We love guarantees, but in the spirit today, I am challenging somebody to step out on faith and to take a kingdom risk. It's how you spell faith, brothers and sisters, guests that are with us today. R-I-S-K is how you spell faith. Every time you respond to God in faith, maybe you're here today for the first time, and God would call you 
to take a step today toward him and to respond to the gospel and repent of your sins and be baptized in Jesus' name and be filled with the glorious gift of his spirit. I, I know that that feels a little bit unnerving for, for somebody, maybe if this is your first time in an atmosphere like this. But even for you, I would just tell you, take a risk today and take a step of faith to an altar and let God wash your life and cleanse you and transform you. You will never be the same if you take a step of faith. Amen. Music, join me today. I'm almost finished. A few weeks ago, we were blessed by the ministry of Tim and Stacy Gaddy. And uh, after he preached that Sunday morning, powerful service, we had the opportunity, I had the opportunity to sit down with Brother Gaddy and we recorded an interview on our church podcast, if you didn't know, we have a church podcast, and, and uh, it's called The Conversation, and we try to glean insight from ministries and ministers that come through our doors. But uh, Brother Gaddy, he, he sat down and he walked through the story of when they planted the church in Cabot. And I won't take the time to go through all the details, but let's just suffice it to say that they went to this city with no guarantees. As he walked through the progression of their story and where it all began, it, it began by going and initially they held services in the living room of an elderly lady, an, an apostolic lady that lived in Cabot. Her name was Merva Bennett. And, uh, you know, he said we, we'd have service there and I would preach and it would be Merva and my wife Stacy. And at the time they had one child, uh, their daughter. And, you know, it kind of gets older after a little while just preaching to your wife and your infant daughter. But that's where they began. It was humble beginnings. And it came as a result of a step of faith. It was a risk that they took <clears throat> because they had a call of God in their heart. And he said, I still remember what that sliding glass door into her living room sounded like. It is a sound etched in his memory bank. Because the back door of her house was the front door of their church. And every time they would hear that sliding glass door start to squeak, it meant that somebody was responding to the burden that God had placed in their lives. It was an open door for somebody to hear the gospel and be changed and transformed. And, and I won't walk through all the seasons and stages, but they moved from there to a rented building and then to another building. And now, Brother Gaddy, he said, God has favored us to the point where we have a church on the main throughway that runs north and south through Cabot. And he said, today... Anybody that I talk to about our church, and I say, this is the name of our church, and this is where we are, everybody, without exception, he said, they all say, oh, I know exactly where your church is. It's unmissable. Look what the Lord has done. Some 25 years later, and it was a whole lot of faithfulness and no doubt a whole lot of slogging it out, and, and it was just so moving to hear his story. I would encourage you to go and listen. But it all started with a step of faith in response to a call that God had put in their spirit. No doubt it felt like a big risk stepping out into uncertainty, stepping out from underneath, you know, the, the safety net of a consistent income and all that comes with that. They worked at another church as a youth leader. But God honored their faithfulness and God met them on the other side of their maybe. Beyond perhaps, the miraculous has taken place. Somebody today needs to stop hiding in the cave of your uncertainty and start walking in the direction of the enemy's territory. 
Because time and time again in your Bible, those who are willing to push beyond perhaps and engage the adversary, they saw God step in with great power. And God always makes up the difference. He did it for Jonathan. Jonathan had a lot of deficiencies. It was only two guys against 20, and they only had one sword between them. Isn't that wild? But God made up the difference. That garrison, they, they were spoiled by those two men with only one sword. In 1 Samuel 14, 15, again, I'll read, and there was a trembling in the host of the enemy, in the field and among the people. The garrison and the spoilers, they also trembled, and the earth quaked. So it was a very great trembling. And it all happened because somebody, just a couple of guys, one leading the way, they pushed beyond, perhaps. Everyone say, beyond, perhaps. There are so many stories, and I, I will hasten. I won't take the time. But somebody here today, perhaps the best thing that you could do is to make peace with the worst possible outcome. What's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen if you take a step and do what God has called you to do? What's the worst that could happen? I mean, I've said this in this pulpit before. The worst thing that can happen to you for standing for your faith is that you lose your life. You'll be hated of men, of all men for my name's sake, Jesus said. And ultimately, the worst thing is that, is that we are a martyr for our faith. Now, in our context in North America, at least at this present time, I don't believe that that's going to happen. But if that's the worst thing that can happen, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so if, you're, if their solution to, to silence my voice is to just send me to my eternal reward, I can make peace with that. But what is the worst thing that could happen? I, I, I think of Esther who went before King Ahasuerus at the behest of Mordecai. And she said, maybe the, maybe the Lord will help me. I don't know. She was willing to push beyond perhaps. And here's the reason why. She said, if I perish, I perish. She made peace with the worst possible outcome. What about those three Hebrew boys standing before King Nebuchadnezzar? King Nebuchadnezzar, he said, hey, you've got to bow when the music plays or you're getting thrown in that fiery furnace. And those three Hebrew boys, they said, the Lord is able to deliver us. It wasn't just that they believed that it was some abstract, distant, ethereal thing that, that God can but they said, God can do it for us. They made it personal. But beyond that, they said, but if not, if he doesn't deliver us, and if we do die in that fire, we're still not going to bow. They made peace with the worst possible outcome. And as a result, they were able to push beyond, perhaps. Beyond, perhaps. Can I tell us today, I would rather die trying than sit still and do nothing. I would rather lose it all attempting to do something for the kingdom and move the needle for the glory of God than sit still and sit on my talent and get to eternity someday and God say, you wicked and slothful servant. You did nothing with what I put in your spirit. You sat on it. You buried your talent and as a result there's not a reward waiting for you. I, I, I just, I am persuaded today that, that it is better to do something and take a risk for God than just to just have all the guarantees in the world and sit still. God brought a victory that day. 1 Samuel 14, 20, the Bible says, Then Saul and all his men, we haven't read these scriptures before, 
they rushed out to the battlefield and they found the Philistines killing each other. And so now it's not just Jonathan and his armor bearer. Now the entire army of Israel, they're, they're gathering around these two men. And there was terrible confusion everywhere among the enemy. And verse 23 says, So the Lord saved Israel that day. Everyone say, the Lord saved Israel. Come on, the Lord is the one who saves. But it all started because Jonathan took a step. The Lord is the one that does the work. But it all started because Jonathan started walking. A nation was saved, brothers and sisters, because one man decided to step out on what seemed like nothing but a maybe. He stepped out on nothing other than what felt like a perhaps, but it's there where God stepped in and partnered with him and brought a great victory. I want to close today. Stand together. I just want these scriptures to resonate in your spirit as we get ready to close. And we have a baptism. We're going to gather on the altar shortly. Jonathan, he said to that young armor bearer, 1 Samuel 14, 6, one more time. Come and let us go over unto the garrison of the Philistines. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint. I just want you to get it today. There is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. But beyond that, if you'll just notice with me one more scripture. The next scripture. That armor bearer, he, he partnered his voice with Jonathan's and he said unto him, Jonathan, do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I'm with you. According to thy heart. Do all that is in thine heart. I feel this morning like I am just, I'm just like that armor bearer a little bit. I believe that the Lord has put in the heart of somebody here today something that he would call you to do for the kingdom. And I'm just here to say, everything that God has put in your heart, do it. If God has called you to take a step of faith, to be a light in this dark world, to lift your voice as a witness, do it. If God has called you to write a song, do it. If God has called you to teach a Bible study, then do it. If God has called you to be benevolent and to give generously, then do it. Do all that is in thine heart today and do it for the glory of God. Here's what the Apostle Paul said, and this is my last scripture, and I will close. In fact, as you, as you, I read this, please start stepping toward this altar. I want us to pray together and just commit to the Lord that we're going to take some steps of faith and take some kingdom risks this coming week. Take, take a step right now out of your seat and come around this altar if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Paul said this, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And I know that we quote that verse a lot about heaven, but that is not a verse about heaven. Because the next verse says this, but God has revealed them unto us, and it is by his spirit. I want to tell somebody today that God has revealed some things to you and God has placed some things in your heart by His Spirit that no other eye has seen and no other ear has heard and it has not entered into the heart of any other man. It's only in you. And God needs you to do what He is calling you to do. It has entered into us. It has been revealed to us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. I just believe today that God is going to help us 
all that is in our heart to do it by faith in Jesus name can you raise your hands this morning come on there's a call of God there is a kingdom utterance in this room today there is a beck and call of the Lord and of glory to say child of God take a step of faith child of God take a risk guest that's with us in the house this morning take a risk take a step toward the Lord and he will meet you there in Jesus name in Jesus name in Jesus name come on lift your voice all across the house today lift your voice today Hallelujah. Come on, somebody needs to receive it this morning. There is something in your heart that is not in the heart of any other man. And if you don't take a step of faith, it might never be accomplished. Come on, there's a sermon that you need to preach. There's a song that needs to be written. There's a book you need to write. A Bible study, a soul reached that will never be reached. But for you, no other eye has seen it. No other ear has heard it. But it's been revealed to us by His Spirit. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, the miracle is not going to come as long as we are hiding in our caves. But the miracle territory is in the garrison of our enemy. If we will step in the direction of our adversary to seek to take territory for his kingdom. That's where the miraculous will meet us. I believe it today. I believe it today. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, just somebody pray into that for a few moments here. There is no restraint to the Lord. There is no restraint to the Lord. He is not handcuffed today. He is not restricted today. But He is well able to give us the victory by many or by few. Jesus name in Jesus name in Jesus name in Jesus name come on if there's a dormant dream if there's a dormant dream if there's a call under the layers of fear we just need to respond to the word of the Lord today I wonder if we would join together with somebody around this altar because I see so much potential in this room today vessels being prepared for kingdom use and kingdom service I just believe that there are unique giftings and callings that the Lord has deposited in us. And I don't want to miss what the Lord is doing right now. If you, if you would like to take a step, it's not too late to come around this altar and pray in this atmosphere of faith and respond and say, God, I'm going to take a step. I'm going to go. I'm going to do it in Jesus' name.
Hallelujah, hallelujah. We're about to have a baptism. Come on, that's a step of faith, of obedience to the word of the Lord. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, I urge you in the Holy Ghost to take a step, respond in faith, and say yes to the call of God. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.